Good. So I wonder how you're feeling this morning. Are you all feeling joyful today? Little bit? Good. That's good, yeah. I'm sure we're not, we're not happy all the time, of course, because, well, there are always challenges that get us down from, from time to time. But I guess what I'm asking is this. Is there this underlying joyful melody that sets the tone of our lives? See, joy is something that we all want, but sometimes it can be quite elusive. And it's the very thing that this Galatian church was actually missing. So today we want, we're just going to explore a little bit about why that was the case. So if you turn to Galatians, we're chapter 4, we're in verse 12 through to verse 20. So just going to read the few verses here. These are the words of Paul. He says this. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, because like me... Sorry, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing on me now? I can testify, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Now, there's some, I guess, uncertainty here, what actually Paul is, is referring to. But what we do know, because it tells us, of course, is that Paul's original visit to, Galatian, to the Galatians wasn't his idea. He only went there because he was sick. So apparently, it was never Paul's intention to visit these cities, but he's forced to because either of some physical illness or some health problem. Now, we're not told exactly what that problem actually was, but there are two indicators in this passage that maybe help us to make, I guess, an educated guess. The first is this. The first is the fact that it says that the Galatians would have given Paul their eyes, verse 15, if they could have which would seem to allude to either some sort of infection or disease or trauma that affected his eyes. Now, as an optician, I know something about eyes, a little bit at least anyway, but it, this problem certainly would seem to have to be something pretty horrible, something pretty painful to force Paul to completely change his plans as a result of sickness. After all, this is the same man who was beaten up many times, the guy who was even stoned, only to get up, dust himself down, and then just get on with what he was doing. So there are also those who suggest that Paul's eyes had always troubled him since he had been dazzled on the Damascus road 
and that his poor vision was just simply a reminder of his encounter with Jesus Christ. I personally find that unlikely. I'm not sure I agree with that. After all, we're clearly told in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, that Paul's sight was restored when Ananias prayed for him. But again, I think what is fair to say that it's fair to assume that whatever causes Paul to change his plans here must either have been some sort of eye problem or at least a medical complication that's associated with his eyes or causing an effect on his eyes. There's a second clue in this, and that is the word that is translated here as, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn, which literally means you did not spit on me. Now, in the ancient world, it was customary for a man to spit when he met an epileptic to avert the influence of the evil spirit that they believed lived within that person. So other people have suggested that actually Paul was an epileptic. And although, however, epilepsy certainly can give visual disturbances and actually blurred vision, certainly around the fit time, it's normally only temporary. So it doesn't quite fit in with his eye situation, his eye problem. So there's a third way of looking at this. And if we can establish when Paul came to Galatia, it may help us to work out why he came there. Now, most theologians think that Paul visited Galatia during his first missionary journey, which is recorded in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. So we know that Paul, Barnabas, and Mark have come from Cyprus. They've come to the mainland, and they came to Perga, which is in Pamphylia. But it's here that Mark left them. If you know the story, Mark sort of, there's a bit of a fallout or something goes on. Mark disappears away back home. But the Paul and Barnabas then go straight to Antioch, which is in the province of Galatia. So why does Paul not preach in Pamphylia? Why, why does he choose to go to Antioch so quickly? Particularly as the road to get you there is probably one of the most difficult, it's the most dangerous roads in the world at that particular time. It also maybe gives us an explanation as, as to maybe why Mark decided to leave them and go back home at that particular moment. So why leave Pamphylia so quickly? Well, one of, the most unlikely, one of the most likely explanations is that this coastal plain around Pamphylia was an area which is just rampant with mosquitoes that carry malarial fever. So there's a very good chance that Paul caught malaria and that his only remedy was to go to the highlands of Galatia. And by the time he arrives there, of course, he is a very, very sick man. Malaria, of course, is something that reoccurs. It's associated with extreme, excruciating headaches. It's got high fever, shaking, sometimes fits. But also there are ocular complications with it as well, which are not uncommon. But malaria, it causes an anemia. It causes jaundice resulting in this yellow discoloration of both the skin and the eyes, making the person certainly look very unwell, if not unpleasant. It may well have been this terrible, this incurable, reoccurring pain that was maybe even Paul's thorn in the flesh, and which tortured him when he came to Galatia for the very first time. In fact, the very reason why he turns up there at all. So the very best guess, and listen, it is only a guess, okay, we don't know for sure, is that the sickness that Paul is referring to in this passage may well have been malaria. 
But whatever it was, it's extremely unpleasant. It would have made Paul's appearance quite repulsive. However, despite all of this, the Galatians receive him with open arms. They welcome him in. To them, he is an angel sent from God. In fact, he's described even like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's how much they love and care for him. And this is surely a reminder to us that we must not judge people by outward appearance or, or jump to a conclusion that God can only speak through certain people, either because they don't look in the right way or because they maybe haven't got certain academic abilities or, in Paul's case, because they're struggling with sickness. Listen, we must accept God's servants not because of some outward appearance, but because they're representatives of God, they are filled with the Spirit of God, and they're carrying God's message. And I believe that God will speak through everyone who obediently listens to him. And this not includes you and me. As we follow him, as we obey God's word, as we step out in the gifts that God has put within our lives, God will use us. Listen, we are his representatives. Now, of course, we are gifted in different ways. What I've seen time and again is that God uses the most unlikely people and often, sometimes most powerfully, when we feel at our most inadequate. Listen, if you're struggling at the moment, either with some sort of chronic illness or maybe challenges within your life, you don't get an opt-out from the gifts that God has given you. So, if God, like Paul, if, if, if you like Paul, I mean, he gets with, with teaching or with, with evangelism or ministry in that sense, listen, you don't get to opt out of that. You still need to be taking God's word. You still need to be the messenger that God has called you to be. If you're gi given the gift of prophecy, you need to prophesy. If you're given the gift of encouragement, encourage, even if you're feeling weak. In fact, it's the, in those places of, of weakness that we learn to fully depend on Jesus. And you can become such a blessing. In fact, you can minister into the lives of others even when you're going through some struggles all of your own. And listen, God can still use you. And God will use you. So you step out in, his, in faith in him. But leading on from that thought, it was because of sickness that the Galatians first heard the gospel. Don't miss the fact that this is not Paul's plan. Paul is not thinking of going anywhere near there. This is God's plan. God led him there. God brought him there. And it's important to remind her to us that God uses even the most difficult of circumstances to further his kingdom and his purposes here on earth. Now, this raises some much deeper questions about the whole subject, of course, of suffering. I'm just simply going to say this. God is good. He is not the source of evil in this world. But when Satan comes and tries to harm, when Satan comes to try and destroy and to, to steal, as, as we read in his word he does, God can use all things. He can use everything for your good for his glory, ultimately for the honor, for the praise of his name. And sometimes we must simply trust him. Sometimes it's simply stepping out in faith. 
So it was into this very difficult situation that the Galatians heard the gospel, but in which also they welcomed Paul in, and they, they showed how much they loved Paul. See, back then, they would have done absolutely anything for Paul, but then there's a big twist to the story, because as we've gathered with what we just read, that the relationship has completely changed. Things have gone downhill, and they no longer want to be a blessing to Paul. Now they want to treat him like an enemy, not a friend. So notice what Paul does and why he does it. Paul had a fatherly heart for this church. He knew how to balance rebuke with love. It was out of love for them that he spoke strongly to them. Listen, he doesn't hold back from them because he loves them. He tells them where they're going wrong. He points out what needs to go right. In fact, he's pointing them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also so concerned to remind them of, of his love for them. And no one can fail, I don't think, to see the deep affection that Paul has here in verse 19. He says, my dear children. His words, no word perhaps could better express the closeness of relationship that, that had once existed between Paul and this church. It's not, he's no longer using theological or intellectual arguments here. This is an appeal to the heart. This is love's cry. They, Paul wants to, them to realize how much he cares for them. He cannot bear to see how much they have gone astray. So he reminds them that it was for their sake that he became a Gentile. He has abandoned his ways, his privileges. He's abandoned his own people and abandoned their traditions in order that he may bring the gospel to them. He has become as they were. And now he's asking them to, to come back and be like him for the sake of the gospel and because he loves them so much. And Paul's aim is simply to point people to Jesus so that they would become more like Jesus. But the Galatians could not see Paul's love or desire for them anymore, so he reminds them why he has loved them so much, why they have loved him so much in the past. Listen, it wasn't because of his good looks. He's a mess. When he arrives there, he is sick. He, he's unpleasant looking. It wasn't because of his great preaching. He wasn't that eloquent, he says. It was because they saw the beauty and the truth of the gospel. It was the gospel that persuaded them and satisfied them. And it was so valuable to them that they would have given up their very eyes to ensure that this message would be continually preached. Listen, there's no church, there's no pastor, there is no church leader that is going to be perfect. If I'm brutally honest, I will let you down. I don't plan to let you down. I don't want to let you down, but I will let you down. And listen, so will every other church. If they say they won't, they will. And I know this because church is made up of imperfect people who will sometimes mess up. And even though we need to be open to the fact that this church isn't perfect, it also should never become an excuse not to obey Jesus 
or to have our lives transformed by his spirit. Instead, we go back to the beauty, we go back to the truth of the gospel. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Listen, it is the gospel that satisfies and persuades us. It's the gospel that we need. And listen, as church leaders or as church, as we let you down, or if we let you down, listen, we go back to the gospel. We go back to the Lord Jesus Christ so that his church and as his church we may be totally transformed into the likeness of Christ. Listen, we're all on that journey together. It's only possible because of the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. Only because of Jesus. It's only because of Him. And we need to keep the gospel central in our lives and in our churches. And for the Galatian church, things had gone so badly wrong. But how did they end up in such a bad place? Or as Paul puts it, what has happened to your love? Because that's what it's all about. A love for Jesus and a love for one another. Where's the happiness? Where's the blessing gone that they had first experienced when they'd heard the gospel and put their trust in Jesus Christ? Now, Paul, of course, knows the answer because he remembers the time when their love was so great that they were willing to sacrifice everything for Paul. But now these Judaizers, these false teachers, have come in and they've stolen their affection. And there's a warning here. It's a warning because... One of the marks of false teachers is that they try to attract other people's converts to themselves. They're not interested in winning the loss for Christ. And rather than pointing people to the Word of God or to the person of Jesus, they want to steal converts from those who are truly serving God. Whereas Paul, whereas Paul wanted and told the truth, the false teachers told lies. Where Paul wanted to glorify God, these false teachers wanted to glorify themselves. Listen, a true servant of God does not use people or manipulate people to build themselves up or their ministry up. If Jesus is not central, there is something wrong, something badly wrong. So beware of anyone who is not pointing you towards Jesus Christ. Also, beware of anyone who wants your exclusive allegiance or who says that they are the only one with the right answers. It is manipulation. It can be, and they will use you as long as they possibly can until they've had enough of you. The task of a spiritual leader is to point people to Jesus, to get people to love and to follow Jesus, not promote themselves or their ministry. And we must be very careful about our friendships and about the relationships that we have because what seems to have happened to, to this church, to the church in Galatia, is that they've gotten themselves into an emotional, dependent, and manipulative relationship that's just pulling them away from God and the truth of the gospel. And the tragedy of this all, they are so blind to it that they don't realize it's even happening. And one of the subtle and perhaps common ways that people can manipulate others is through shame. 
We see it in churches, sadly. It may be shame about not giving enough money or shame about missing a Sunday or or actually any other area of our lives, but living with shame is toxic. It, It will rob us of joy, and it's not the way that God works. Listen, the Holy Spirit does not transform you through shame. In fact, Paul very specifically writes that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no one and no church should ever use the gospel message to make people feel ashamed. God, by his spirit, will convince and will convict us of our sin, which actually leads us to repentance, leads us to faith, but never to shame. The gospel is the most uplifting message in history. And listen, we must avoid manipulation so that we are neither manipulators or being manipulated. And so important that your relationships are healthy so that you neither try to control other people or allow yourselves to be controlled. Listen, you cannot be Christ to anyone. And no one can be Christ for you except for Jesus. And anytime you look to other people as your savior, anytime you expect them to be your everything, which is exactly what we spoke about about two weeks ago, you turn friendship into idolatry which will become overbearing, controlling, and ultimately will enslave you. This will rob you of joy, just as has robbed the Galatian church of joy. In healthy friendships, the goal is to point each other to Christ, which means keeping Christ and keeping God at the center of your love for one another To do this, you need to apply the gospel to your life. In other words, you turn to Jesus and be loved by him. It begins with him, it's centered on him, and we never leave him. Listen, find your joy, find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. So that when your your friends are in need, you point them to Jesus. Now, by all means, we need to support and to encourage them, but we encourage them to go to him. See, listen, you cannot solve their problems. You cannot love them unconditionally, or you cannot fill that void in somebody else's life. Listen, you cannot do it. Only Jesus Christ can do this. But what you can do is point them to him. Listen, if you feel that you're involved in some unhealthy or manipulative or even sinful relationships, first of all, go to Jesus. Go to him. Confess to him. Talk to him. Be honest with him. But secondly, talk to somebody else who you know will point you to the scriptures, who will point you towards Jesus rather than allowing you to become dependent on you. Look, I'm well aware that some people find it difficult and some people actually feel they're not even capable of having healthy relationships. But listen, there really is hope in Christ. Just as any other stronghold, it needs to be broken. But he can change you but you must allow the Holy Spirit 
to fill those areas, to give them over to him. And listen, there will be times when you'll be tempted to revert back to old habits, to old patterns, but you need to believe that Jesus is good and that he won't let you go there and that he will help you. Remember, good friendships are absolute blessing from God, but even then we need to always hold them with open hands and always keep Jesus Christ at the center. And you can discover what a beautiful friendship can be like. But for the Galatians, false teaching, lies, manipulation, had not just destroyed their friendship with Paul, but actually they had lost their enjoyment of their salvation by trying to find satisfaction in other things. And listen, those other things will always rob you of joy. They will always end up in the same place. And the saddest thing of all is to say they did not even realize what they had lost. They actually think that they are becoming better Christians by substituting law for grace, religious activity for the fruits of the Spirit. So in verse 19 and 20, Paul uses a mix of metaphors to actually then make his point. Can I just first of all acknowledge the fact that as a man, I know I'm really not qualified to talk about the pain of childbirth before we go there, okay? But then neither is Paul. And when Paul had first come to these Galatians with the gospel, he had spent time teaching them and nurturing them, and, and he'd seen them come to Jesus, but that had cost him. In fact, there's a lot of pain involved. It was painful for Paul to do this, and being a braver man than me, he likens that pain to childbirth. And now the Galatian Christians have fallen back into legalism, and he has to go through it again. It's like starting all over again. He, he, his longing has not changed. He wants to see Christ formed in them. But it's like bringing them back to birth in Christ all over again. Now, two thoughts from that. The first is this. This is agony for Paul. Paul is so distressed because he loves them, because he cares so much for these people. He's in agony over this. His heart is breaking over this church. He's, he's, he yearns, he's yearning for these straying Christians to come back to Jesus. And even though earlier in this letter Paul has rebuked the Christians here, he is doing so with his arms wrapped around them. He loves them. He cares for them. He longs that they would return to true faith, that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and, and this should also be the cry of our hearts for those who are far away from God. I wonder, do you weep over the lost? For those who do not know Jesus yet, does it break your heart? Is it something that even gives you a moment of, of thinking about for those maybe who used to even be in our church who have walked away from Jesus, do are we willing to, to plead before God on their behalf, to plead that God would bring them back to faith for our family, for our friends who don't know Jesus? Are we crying out to God for them? Is that breaking our hearts? Like Paul, it should be. But there's a second thought of this, is that it's just the impossibility of all of this. 
See, how a child already born can cause a mother to go through childbirth again is, of course, impossible in the physical world. Babies don't crawl back in there, thank goodness. However, just because it's impossible for a child to be physically born twice does not alter the impact of this illustration. In fact, it's very possible that Paul uses this illustration because it's impossible. But Paul's meaning is very clear. There is a need for new growth in Christ. Painful and difficult as that may be. But listen, what seems impossible is absolutely possible with God. Because we worship, do we not, the God of the impossible, the God who does miracles, the God who brings life change, the God who brings new birth. Listen, you and I are called to be delivering spiritual babies. A church should be a delivery room. Sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's painful, but it's a place where people are born again by the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is God's work. Yes, we cannot do it, but he does the impossible. But we are called to assist. As a father, there's probably one moment, I'm sure there are many more, but there's one moment that I will never forget as long as I live, and that was when I first met my daughter for the first time. My poor wife had been in labor for 24 hours. She's exhausted. She's, she's pretty much done in. But that moment when you hold that new life, that beautiful, wrinkly, yeah, bloody, yeah, but that beautiful baby in your arms for that first time is the most unbelievable, joyful experience. As a father, as a mother, you know what that's like. But that same deep joy comes when you know that you're a child of God. When you know and you see others becoming a child of God, knowing the unconditional love of God, the peace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, in Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need. The slavery of sin is broken. Your eternal future is secure by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. You can know the greatest of joy. And listen, we have the privilege and the honor, and sometimes the painful responsibility of seeing more people born into the kingdom of God. That's God's call on your life, on my life. That we see people taken from darkness into light, from death into the life of God. New birth. New birth. I want to pray as we finish for three things. The first is this. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you've never put your trust in Jesus, listen, you need to be born again. You need the impossible to happen in your life. But listen, with God, it is possible. In fact, it's a simple prayer of faith. You invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. You admit that you're a sinner. Do you need him? you realize that he is the only one that can answer the problems in your life and then you call out to him you invite him to come 
to change you. The second thing I want to pray for is this, is that people would be set free from manipulation. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you're in relationships that are just, just not, you just know they're unhealthy. They're not right. You need maybe to break some stuff down. You need perhaps God de- definitely to come in and just break into situations and bring change. Perhaps even you know that you are actually tempted often to manipulate those around you. You need God to come and break that in your life. It's not healthy. It doesn't build healthy relationships. And then the third thing I want to pray for is just the relief, or sorry, the release of God's joy. As we get set free, that's what this book's all about in many ways, the freedom in Christ. As we get set free, whether it be from manipulation or for other things in our lives, God will pour out his joy by his spirit. I want to pray for that. So let's just stand together. We're going to come and sing. Actually, let's, let's, just, let's just sing in Christ alone, if that's okay. As we, uh, and then we'll, we'll pray afterwards. Yes, Lord, we say, Lord, we can only stand because of you. And Lord, we want to, I just want to pray, Lord, as we just bring this, this morning service to a close, Lord, that you would just minister into our hearts by your Spirit. I want to encourage you, if you are not a Christian, I just want to pray a simple prayer and um, just, if you want to pray along with me just in your heart, just to commit your life to God, that would be great. So Lord Jesus, I want to come to you this morning. I want to admit, Lord, that I've got it wrong so many times, but I want to come to you, Jesus, because you died for me because you rose again and because you are my hope for now and for for all of eternity. So Lord, I want to invite you to come into my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be in charge of all of it. And I pray that I would walk with you from this moment on. Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that for the first time, I want you to come and just come and catch me at the end of the service and, and want to just uh, um, pray with you again at that point and, and uh, we'll even give you some, some literature and bits, bits and pieces. But I also want to pray then for those that are just struggling in situations because you just know you're being manipulated and maybe even as we've been singing and you've, you've really, God by his spirit has just highlighted areas in your life that just are controlled, either controlled by others or actually you're controlling over others. And I want to pray for a breakthrough in that. I want to pray for people to be set free from manipulation. So Lord, we, we come to you. Lord, you're the one that breaks through, Lord God. You break the chains, Lord God, that hold us down. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, for into situations, Lord, where the enemy is controlling situations either through even addictions or through problems in their life but even Lord through other people father we pray for a breakthrough in those things today in the name of Jesus Lord we acknowledge Lord that we need you in this but Lord we thank you Lord God that the message of the gospel that there is freedom in Christ that there is forgiveness in Christ Lord that in you Lord God we have a hope and a future and Father I pray now Lord God break through 
breakthrough. Come, Holy Spirit, just break into lives, Lord. And then a third, I want to pray for that release of God's joy. Listen, as God sets people free, we don't walk around empty, we walk around filled with His Spirit. And listen, if you, you need to receive. So both as you let go of stuff, as you let me let go of situations that just need to be, need to be dealt with and let go of, but also you need to receive His Holy Spirit because we can only move forward in his strength and by his power. So Lord, I just pray. Father, I pray for the joy of the Lord to come. Lord, in each and every one of us. Lord, I'll take a bit more. Lord, I think we all will. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. Lord, I need my strength to be in you. Holy Spirit, come. Let your joy flow into our hearts. Lord, sometimes that can be a actually it's just a tangible sense of joy coming Lord sometimes it's just a sense of peace coming but whatever it is Lord help us to know that you're our joy just reignite something within us today this morning in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen